Hi, I'm Keith Billis, and this is Live in the Lab. All right. A little bit of weirdness in front of the camera there for anybody who's watching. So I'm like, hey, where's the button? Where's the button? I can't get it going. How did you go viral on TikTok? You were on America's Got Talent. How much do you get paid to be on AGT? Oh, you didn't get paid. Keith and Steve here in Live in the Lab. You're a great interviewer. I love it. 48 miles, 48 hours. And not just once. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> I hit 50 last time, and I'm like, yeah, things are a little different than they were 10 years ago. So trust me, things are to keep. You have no time for the BS that much yeah. of society seems to put on the table. Why is that? Like, what you're talking about is real right now. There's just no bullshit here, but it's just real. We brought you in with some Marley. I said, Joseph, let's talk music for a second. You said, well, Keith, oldies, 60s, 70s, and 80s. I've never talked to a sir before. Why are you a sir? In many ways, we're the same story. I came from nothing. You came from nothing. I think the old saying goes that if you want a trophy, you climb Everest. If you want respect, you climb K2. I've built an AI myself, and it's pretty fascinating when you can have a conversation with yourself with your own knowledge. Have you done that before? Why are we rushing to make these tools if they're all they're going to do is hurt humanity? Does the world need an Oppenheimer moment with AI? What a fun show. Hey, what's going on, Business Athlete Nation? Listen to those tunes. Ooh, a little bit of mystery. Hey, we got some mystery in the lab today. We got a guest. We got Miles Wakeham, unconstrained. So if you're constrained right now, trust me, you're going to become unconstrained over the next hour. Over this chat I have with Miles, joining us from Arizona, I believe. You know the home of the original Winnipeg Jets? Yeah, I'm telling you, I'm I bringing all these guys in from Arizona. They, they, they all want to relive my history, you know. Big Jets fan here. Had uh, Chris McCarthy and yesterday Ottawa Senator. Sorry, we know Chris is a Senators fan. We don't hold that against him, but you got to check out Fansaves. Hey, fansaves.com. I think it's .com. Sorry, Chris. Should have checked out the domain. Yeah, so Chris, yesterday, Senators fan. Today, we got Miles Wakeham, unconstrained, probably Coyotes fan, but we won't hold it against him. I'm wondering if he's going to the Mullet Arena in Tempe to sit with the five fans to watch the games. No, I think it's actually 10 fans they got in the arena there. Hey, anyway, I, th I think they might be moving to Utah. Sorry, Miles. Yeah, I heard that rumor too. Anyways, hey, listen, we're going to bring Miles in here in a couple of minutes, but Uncle Keith. Chief Bapleet here in the Business Athlete Performance Lab on a Friday. Woke up to some awesome, awesome news. You know what it was? So one of my accountability partners, one of my accountability students, so old Chief Bapleet Keith here helps people out, helps people achieve their goals, achieve their big, hairy, audacious goals. You know, you want to run a marathon, you want to climb a mountain, you want to take your company to the next level. Hey, I'll help you. I show up every day. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the guy that took the white piece of paper, added a few people to it, took an idea, executed on it. And then one day had some guy write me a check for 50 million bucks. Yeah. Hey, so I've done a couple things before in my life, but listen, I got a note today from somebody and I want to read it to you because it made me feel really, really, really happy. And I want to share it with you guys. So she says to me, and you know, we're not going to name names, but before you bring Miles in, I want to leave you guys what made me feel really good today. My student, my colleague, my partner says to me, Keith, you've been great. I don't need to be coddled or pushed hard. Some people do, but not me. I just needed to find someone who believed in me, didn't judge the goal or question my goal. And that same person legitimately wants me to succeed as much as I do. She goes on to say, and then she says, Keith, and that has been you. You are non-judgy, which is nice. No judgment here. Just grace. Just grace. You haven't questioned my faith. You haven't questioned how I spend my mornings. You are supportive regardless, which is nice. You treat each day as the goal is reached. So I feel zero pressure. You know that the 52 goal, the 52 day goal. And when we sat down, she had a 52 day goal. She says, you know, the 52 day goal is there, but I feel a celebration in the moments that each day brings, if that makes sense. And it does. 
because her and I speak about the moments behind the moments behind the moments that are the true value in life. She says, I feel permission to quote, just be unquote, whether it's grumpy or happy, which again is nice. And then she says, I feel accountable. I feel accountable past myself. And I think that's why I'm feeling exceptionally great today. And this is a combination of you and my spiritual beliefs. I feel accountable past myself, but with full permission to quote, just be. She says to me, Keith, you come across as a real person in a fake world. And I can't tell you how refreshing that is. I feel you've overcome trials and you would clearly know how to adjust to other clients. I would think you would not apply the same process for each person as an accountability partner as we are all unique humans, which is what makes an accountability partner an exceptional position. As a general statement, and there are always exceptions, this position would not be suitable for anybody under 25, which is, it's an astute observation from, from her, her behalf because we're frankly not looking to target 25 year old human beings. They have, and she goes on to say, they haven't experienced enough, especially in the realm of finances or other personal journeys. You need to fail or fall several times to know how to reach someone with the appropriate approach. And as I talk to my son, who leads his hockey team as the captain, it's about learning how to press buttons. Anyways, that was her note to me this morning. What a wonderful testimonial message. Thank you, my friend, for that. Very, very kind. And it's funny, I called her my friend. We had a chat this week. She says, you know, Keith, uh, your role in my life is really interesting. You're not a coach, you're not a counselor. You're not my therapist. You're not my friend. You're this human being that pops into my world throughout the day with this level of awareness that keeps me aware of myself. And I'm thankful for you for that. Anyways, enough about that. Enough about me. Let's move our attention to the screen over there. Again, guys, we know how it works. Let's bring Miles Wakeham unconstrained from Arizona. Coyotes fan <laughs> or not to the lab. Let's see. We're going to go and do this. What's going on, Miles? It worked. It worked. How are you, buddy? It worked. It worked just fine. How are you doing? I'm good. I, I tell you what, I could live off your energy any day. <laughs> it's so enticing. Thank, Thank you, you for that. I appreciate that. That's, that's very. That's very kind. It seems to be a. It's it's a theme when people come into the lab here, and I. Uh, it's me. It's uh, and and that's the energy we're trying to build here, uh, in in the live and lab show, Miles. So you join us from Arizona, eh? Actually, I don't. Um, I I'm a little odd today. I'm in the center of Mexico right now. I'm in a town called San Miguel de Allende and the state of Guanajuato, which is about three-hour bus trip north of Mexico City. So I'm kind of a bit south of Arizona at the moment. Okay, so now this is really cool because I am an adventure person. I love to learn about shit off the path and then off the path and then even further off the path yet. So uh, how did you – so let, let's go, man. Where did you get – how did you get to where you had to get to? Did you go through Mexico City or how did you get there? Well, my accent kind of gives it away because originally I'm from Australia. Yes. So that's where I started. And then I spent the first 25 years of my life there. Then I moved to Los Angeles kind of unexpectedly, ended up living there for about seven years, I think, something like that. Went yeah. back to Australia for about four years, then returned back to California for a couple of years. Then I moved to Arizona for about 20 years. And in about 2018, we started sort of straggling south of the border in search of new adventures. And my wife and I discovered this uh, beautiful town in Spanish colonial town uh, in the center of Mexico called San Miguel. And we bought a big ass piece of property here and we're down here building the home of our dreams right now. 
good for you. So, so I had a good friend, one of my best friends, uh, true story. His kids weren't moving out. So one day he's like, kids, mom and I are moving. And he moved the kids out. So him and his, him and his wife can move on down to Merida, Merida, Mexico, down Merida. Mm-hmm. And down to Yucatan down that way. In that area. Yeah. And it sounds like the exact same thing. Sold their house here in Winnipeg, moved on down there, built a big dream house, uh, used it as an Airbnb, VRBO type property, and uh, resided down there for 10 years until they recognized that they want to be close to the grandkids and came back up to Canada. But it was, uh, yeah, they went off down the beaten path and I spent some time down there as well. Uh, It was uh, beautiful down there. So you're off the beaten path as well, Miles. Yeah. Yeah. We're um, we're in the middle of nowhere we, we don't have any beaches here but we're at about seven thousand foot elevation we're okay. uh we're in a pretty beautiful place i mean the temperature all year round is about 75 degrees it never really gets that cold it never really gets that hot sun's always shining tacos are cheap beer is cheap what are you gonna do yeah 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 let's say you know what so i've never done this before let's try something here let's try i'm gonna try i want to try something here i want to try to do this let's go to yeah let's go here so all right, so where are we looking for Miles? San Miguel? Yeah, San Miguel de Allende. Uh, so if you okay. see that, you'll find me. Oh, that looks about right. Yeah, that looks about right. All right, so here's some perspective on where Miles is. So if we, if we pull back, there's San Miguel there in the middle. Mm-hmm. There's Leon over there, and let's just see. Okay, wait, you're right in the middle of Mexico. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're wait, there's, about Mexico, it. there's Mexico City there. Yeah, it's about a three-hour flight south of Phoenix, so it gives you some perspective. We're 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 a fair way from our norm. <laughs> this is becoming our norm, so it's not yeah. so bad. Oh, and I see, and I see there's a lake here. There is. We're not far from that lake. In fact, I think our property okay. is about maybe two hundred and fifty meters from the lake, something like that. No kidding. Yeah. Huh. So I got to ask the obvious question: You move to Mexico, but you don't move to the ocean. No. <laughs> no. Um, there's a there's a couple of Practical reasons. I mean, I grew up on the ocean. I grew up in a city called Adelaide on the south uh, of course, South Australia. You've been, been to Adelaide? Adelaide? I've been to Adelaide. Yeah, I've been to Adelaide. Oh. And then I worked my way down to uh, Port... Oh, shit. Uh, Port Newton and made my way down in a boat to the Neptune Islands to spend oh. uh, four days, three nights in a cage in the middle of the Australian Ocean with some white sharks. Yeah, you go up to Streaky Bay up that way. That's some of the big sharks, big shark country up there. Oh, yeah, like we're talking like freaking school buses, Miles. Yeah, 18 footers. That's about normal. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the cage and I'm down there by myself and I'm looking around and I'm like. <laughs> and this boat goes by and you realize it's great white. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's, I think they filmed a lot of Jaws there. Apparently, the reason for it is they have a massive amount of uh, tuna fish. And the yes. shark feed on it, so they become huge, and and yeah, that's what you get. Well, true story. I I went on an expedition with a company called Rodney Fox Expeditions. Rodney Fox is the guy who was the principal photographer for the original Jaws movie with Roy Scheider, and he was attacked by a shark, lost his arm. No, uh, had not lost, had some significant harm as a result of that. Uh, invented uh, this this cage, which allowed them to do photography and stuff for. Uh, 
for future water films. Yeah, that's us Australians. We grow up with anything on the ground or in the water that's going to kill you. So you yeah. get used to the fact that, you know, you got to treat the world kind of with a bit of respect. I mean, if you're up that's in Canada, you know the drill, right? It's the same thing Go out in the wilderness. you got to treat it. it with respect. You know, that's, that's it. how it is. That's it. That's it. All right. So your journey. So you've, 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 been, you've been all around, but you ended up in the, I asked the question, why did you end up in the middle of Mexico and not near the water? Ah, so I, uh, Wow, this is, I don't want to give you the long story. I'll try and abbreviate it as fast as possible. Uh -huh. um, I grew up in a musical family. Both of my parents were concert pianists. Nice. I was in the orchestra at the age of five, and I was in the South Australian Junior Philharmonic at the age of 11. So I'm a musical kid. Uh, I never finished high school. I, I actually discovered uh, in the late 70s electronics and computers and I ended up becoming a software developer and I started my first software company when I was like 15. Uh, by the age of 25, I'd done it all. I'd written software for governments, defense contractors, and I never finished high school. So I'm kind of one of those oddball kids that back in the 80s, I guess, at the time, you could get away with that. I'm not sure if you can do it these days, but I certainly... Let, let's fun. hang on and come back here because I want to talk... Because mm -hmm. you're saying something right now which I want to come back to. Keep going. Yeah. Okay, so I left Australia in 25, uh, landed in Los Angeles uh, unexpectedly, couldn't work um, in software because my the immigration department in the US wouldn't give me a work permit for about 12 months. So I ended up spending all my time walking around the streets of Hollywood, uh, got in a band. The band did really well, ended up getting almost signed to a big record deal. And right at the last minute, one of our uh, band members quit the band and the whole thing went south. And in the in the meantime, I used the time I was there. I couldn't earn any money, but I had all this technical knowledge and this musical knowledge. And it yeah. was just happened to be at the intersection where all the recording studios in Hollywood were moving into the digital world, into computer yeah. recording. So I got uh, hired, if lack of a better term, swapping time, if you like, <laughs> to teach those studios how to embrace technology in the digital frame. And my payment for that was I got took, taken under the wing of some of the greatest engineers and producers uh, at the time who taught me how to work in a recording studio and run large format recording consoles. So you I drop, ended up- Drop some names for me. Uh, Tears for Fears. Um, Absolutely, I'm a huge but, music guy, man. So let's go. Who, 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 what engine? And I, I wanted to be a music producer growing up because I, okay. I love, I love all this shit. This stuff all fascinates me, right? So let's right. dig into this weird. Let's dig into this world. Okay, so what happened is that um, I got taught the art of being on what we would call the other side of the glass. So on one side of the yeah. glass, you've got the talent, you know, with the recording, the drummers, whatever. On the other side of the glass, you've got the engineers and the consoles. And so I was able to fuse this, this love and knowledge of music that I had so I could talk to the clients with this technology knowledge that I had so I could operate the gear. And I was lucky enough to be able to straddle both worlds. And so I was a perfect fit for this. Um, and that's where it really happened for me. So I ended up working uh, more on the other side of the glass by the console because it required more technical attention. Eventually, when I did get my work permit through, I found day job. I worked back in software, which was, you know, where I could make more money because I had at this time, I had to raise a family and pay the bills and everything. Yes. But yes. I still spent my evenings working in the studio. So I was, I became kind of like a, what they call, I guess, a house engineer or the the main engineer at a big studio in Hollywood called Grandmaster Recorders. 
Yeah. Um, and, and at the time we had uh, a lot of bands going through like Tool did their first couple of albums. Yeah. Album there. Um, I got to work with those guys. I worked with a lot of uh, new artists. Sensefield was a big album I did down there. Um, I was right on the edge of doing the second Foo Fighters album. I would have engineered that if it wasn't for the fact that I got a phone call from Australia that my mother had a car accident and I had to fly back uh, to take care of her. So I went back and I went from a guy who came from nothing, you know, a bag of clothes kind of thing, achieved all this success. Oh, and my day job, I just happened to get a gig working as this startup that turned into a, the world's largest biotechnology corporation that was Amgen. So I got all these stock options when I joined. And then five years later, I kind of walked away with like seven figure incomes, you know? So it was like, this was unheard of. It was, and I was 32 when I left that. So I was, I got there when I was like 25. I left when I was 32. Nothing made sense. It it didn't, I didn't earn it. You know, it was like, I got it. It was just given to me. I mean, I did my thing. I did what I did, but I didn't feel like I earned it. And when I went back to Australia, the strange thing was I kind of lost it all because I got divorced. I, uh, my wife, you know, gets half of everything, which is normal. And and then um, in the process, I ended up in a massive car accident in the outback and I was almost killed in that. And uh, the medical costs were supposed to be insured by the government and they reneged on paying for it all. So I ended up having to foot the bill on everything. And I was in a coma for, I think, six days. I was, you know, out and then massive amount of damage and and I had to pay for it all. So everything I made, I lost. I walked away from that, not penniless, but almost. And so I went from zero to hero, back to zero. <laughs> and then I had to dust everything up and realize that the only person who's going to pick me up off the floor is me. So I did that and then... Eventually, four years later, I remarried. I met the love of my life and I, we had a child and, and it was fantastic. And then I realized that my life, my opportunities for my family in the future didn't weren't going to be in Australia. They weren't the sort of things that I wanted to pursue. So I got back on the plane and we moved the whole family back to California, um, only to discover that there was no music industry left anymore because Napster killed it. Yeah. So getting back into the recording business wasn't going to work. So I went back into software and that's what I did for 20 years. Eventually I realized that if I wasn't going to need to be in Hollywood or in LA anymore, because I wasn't doing that, it was better for us to go to a place that was at the time far cheaper. And that's where we moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, and we set up shop there and we were there for 20 years until we got bored with that. And now we're here. (laughs) So that's kind of how it worked. Miles, you've lived four lives, five lives. Oh, it's not stopping either. There'll be a sixth, seventh, and eighth coming forward soon. So my next project is makes this one look like a cakewalk. So anyway. Do tell. Um, I'm building the largest private recording studio in Latin America right now. Uh, it is huge. The amount of work in this is massive, and it's going to be uh, an exact studio that emulates the uh, original studio built, built by Sir George Martin, the producer of the Beatles, uh, on the island of Montserrat in the 80s, who was responsible for the last two police albums, Dire Straits, Elton John, Rolling Stones, you name it, everyone was there. I managed to uh, find the guys who built that studio, uh, befriended them, and uh, obtained the engineering drawings for the whole place, gave it to my architect here and said, build that, and he's built exact replica of that studio. 
And then I told everybody back in California what I was doing. And the next thing you know, I've got a queue of people who want to come in and start recording there. So the goal is to bring in uh, bring in the talent that normally would be spending big bucks to go to a music city in the States and bring them down here where the economy is way better and life is just easier, freer, and they can create without having to worry about traffic and car horns and everything like that. It's just this beautiful, idyllic place. And then I want to be a part of it. So I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing because I, when I read the profile prior to us coming on today, I, I, I read about the studio and I got to be honest with you. I, I kind of had a huh moment in my head <laughs> and, and I, I read it again and then I came back to it a few days later and I was like, fuck man, this guy's building the biggest studio in Latin, Latin America or North America or North America. Yeah. No, Latin America, all the way from Argentina on up. Yeah. And that, that's not me quoting that. My architect researched it and said, this is the biggest private studio. I'm sure there's bigger, you know, mass, massive studios for movie sets and sound stages. And the, the, those this is a music sets. studio, right? Like this, this is a music studio. Yeah. So can I offer something for you? I like to make recommendations and suggestions and I love my audience to make the decisions, but, but I want to make this recommendation and suggestion, but, but with a caveat from old chief Bapley and uncle Keith here, because I want to be part of this. Okay. Can, can we recruit the Foo Fighters to come to your studio so you can relive what was supposed <laughs> to happen before mom got into that unfortunate situation back in Australia? And can I come hang out with you and Dave and the gang while you're making that album with them? Absolutely. If, if he wants to come down, I'll roll the red carpet out. No problem at all. Like, wouldn't that be fantastic to, to like, there's a story there, Miles. Like, we could do, like, behind the scenes. Like, we could tell a story. There's a documentary there. It could be, like, the opening of the studio, right, oh, where it's, it's, like, a black and white where Miles is in California, both are recorded with the Foo Fighters, and then he gets the phone call, and he's got to head back to Australia to take care of mom. And then you fast forward years later, and you see the construction of the studio opening up, and, and you know, the Foo Fighters are on their next journey with the unfortunate passing of Ty Hawkins a couple years ago, right? Like, it just, like, Oh my goodness, what a wonderful story would be to open up that studio in, in Mexico. Or alternative, I'll throw another option at you. Another suggestion. We go ahead and call um, your Uncle Bono and say, hey man, why don't you come record the new album here in Mexico before you guys go play it in the Sphere up in Vegas? Just a car sure. right away. I'm totally on board with that. <laughs> totally on board with it. So I have ambition and energy, Miles. Absolutely. Dude, bring it on. Bring it on. I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> So let's stay on the studio because this is fascinating to me. So is this a build it and they will come project or is this a build it and I know they're coming project? Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about my my education in Australia and why this is important. So there's one thing you learn in Australia, which is uh, if you've been there, you probably appreciate it. But yeah. uh, we all grew up on the by the ocean. And yes. I, when I was a teenager, I, like all my mates, wanted to go and learn how to surf. And that was a big thing. So um, I got out there and I was in, I was really bad. You know, I get a surfboard, I'd go out there, I'd get beaten up. The thing would hit you in the back of the head. You'd be, you know, and for days this went on and on and on. And I never could work out how to surf. So um, one day I'm out there, might have been three days in, and we're just, you know, we're all idiots. We don't know what we're doing. And you see all these guys surfing and they're great, you know, and you go, I want to be like that. Right. So I'm out there on the wave and I started realizing this kind of analytical side of my brain came out and I started realizing there were patterns in the waves that came in sets and that the, the energy of the wave was way, way bigger than I was. I mean, it's the energy of the universe, right? They're powerful. How do you become 
synergistic with it? How do you not become an adversary of it? And I started seeing how you do it. And the way you do it is you get in front of the thing before it's on you. You start paddling and it sees you as not an adversary and it kind of picks you up. And then when it picks you up, it transfers its energy to you and you get the right of your life. And when I got that, I thought, you know, that's the way the universe works. If you're ahead of the curve and you're prepared and you're paddling, the curve will pick you up and you don't get much of a say in the matter. It just does. But it's about you being ahead of it. If you try and catch it when it's on you, it's going to hurt and it's not going to work. If you don't catch it when it's past you, it's stupid. But you got to be ahead of it and you got to pick your wave. And what I did was the reason why that's so important was that that was the best lesson I ever got in life because I applied that lesson to every single thing I did in investing. Everything I did in technology, picking a technology to focus on, and every time I applied the, the, the wave paradigm, I got rich. I couldn't believe it. It didn't take, I didn't have to graduate high school for this. This was bloody obvious. Why didn't anybody tell me, oh, you want to buy Tesla stock? Well, there's a wave, right? A graph in the stock market is a wave. Look at it as a wave. When it goes down, get ahead of it so it picks you up when it goes up. It's so simple. And why people couldn't understand this was blowing my mind. So to your question about the studio, build it and they will come. I pick waves. And what I'm looking at right now is a period of doldrum in the music industry, which is related to the fact that anybody can make a record. There are 90,000 uploaded songs to Spotify every day right now. And everybody's out there trying to glamour attention, trying to glamour to become viral, to become the next Taylor Swift or whatever they want to be. But nobody realises that music is a human experience. It's human to human. If you tell a story and people empathise, they connect with it, it will resonate. It resonated in, you know, with jazz in the 40s, it resonated with Bob Dylan in the 60s, it resonated with Led Zeppelin and, and you know, eventually the 80s and the 90s. All the bands I've worked with, they tell stories. The problem is that nobody is scribing it. They think that they can tell a story into their laptop and that it will work. Maybe, but it's about the story. And what they need is they need a, a producer to motivate them and an engineer to capture it, which I do both. And they need somewhere to go where they can tell their story authentically without distraction. And if they can do that, they will be the next big thing. And it's just a matter of time. And the problem right now is musicians can't make any money. We don't make CDs anymore. They don't make mechanical royalties. They're out there touring 300 nights in a bus to try to get attention in clubs. How do you tell stories when you're doing that? You might once in a while, capture somebody who connects with you and wants to buy your merch and whatever. But you can't, you know, you're couch surfing for the rest of your life. I've got a studio here which doesn't cost much to run. I can punt on an artist that has a story. All i got to do is find them. Funny thing was, I discovered that a lot of the artists here in Mexico and in Latin America were not corrupted by transactional economies like the United States or the UK or Canada or Australia or wherever. They were more about art first, money second. And you should hear their stories. Oh, my God. It'll make you cry. And the second I can capture that, it's done deal. That's how it works. Oh, Miles. I, uh, dude, what do we have an hour today? Can we have like a week? Can I come <laughs> right. move in with you? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, my, my head is just, uh, so you've hooked me. You, you, you've got me. And what I mean by you've got me is I, I'm drinking the same Kool-Aid as you. 
And let me explain. What you've just said is exactly what I'm trying to do with my show. My show is admittedly kind of old school talk show, but I'm trying to tell, it's not 30 second sound bites. It's not TikTok flick to the next. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to create a letterman. Uh, I'm trying to create an experience. No, I'm not trying to be letterman. Don't, don't mishear that. But I'm trying to sit with my guests for a period of time and tell stories and get to know them and learn about the moment behind the moment and learn about the guy who's building your studio. He's probably got a story to tell, right? And that, that so because I get frustrated in today's world, I understand it that, that it just, it's a flicking world, right? But I think what you're saying, like I am betting on and I'm saying is that is that the world always goes back to what we know, right? Mm -hmm. Netflix is the new cable channel. Netflix is not what it was when it started. Netflix is now just HBO, just disguised on you know, something else. What you're saying is that you are willing to bet that there will be music artists of tomorrow that want to get back into a studio, want to make, make real music, want to get out of the public eye every second to create allure, create mystery, create demand that's what you're saying am i am i hearing you correctly 100 percent. yeah you're right yeah and I, I i i can't debate that as a matter of fact even if you look at some of the technology shifts miles and you're probably watching but so tiktok tiktok took off by identifying a niche right you know basically what you and i grew up with which was the remote control just flick 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 okay we we, we can we condition people to flicking but you probably saw the announcement yesterday like i did they've now increased their videos to 30 minutes Right. They're pushing their people now to long form video. YouTube is doing the same thing. You probably heard the same announcement that I heard last week that Apple is putting a physical button on the next iPhone on the bottom corner. Why? Because we want people to make horizontal videos. Why? I'll tell you why. Because advertisers can't make money on videos this way. Mm -hmm. Advertisers make money this way. So it goes back to what you're saying, which is the long form, right? It's, it's yeah. so if you're thinking about people making long form albums, well, I want to watch the documentary of that long form album being made, right? It goes back to that same concept, right? Yeah, it, it does. But it's also not um, unable to embrace technology as well. One of the big things we do in our studio that we've built for is what they call immersive audio or Dolby Atmos immersive audio. Yes, yeah, spatial Dolby Atmos. 360 degrees, spatial, yeah. That's and the right. reason for that is that it it allows a mix of a story and music to be an all-encompassing immersive thing for the person in it in the same way that the sphere is a yes. 360 degree bubble in which you can immerse somebody or imax did it and as much yes. as i get into many debates with people in the audio industry about whether this is a fad or whatever the one thing you can't bet against is apple and apple's uh technology and binaural and their vr headsets and now the fact they force musicians to have to produce an Atmos mix to get in their playlist on Apple Music is enough of a reason to say, well, this isn't going anywhere. This is to, to stay. And um, they just increased the commission yesterday too. So if you're going to, if you, if they right. want, they want you to record in spatial video and sp spatial audio, I should say. Right. Yeah. So uh, my iPhone right now records in spatial video for the, for the headset that they released this week. So you are absolutely correct. This idea of spatial audio is not a fad, not like when, you know, when we both grew up with quadra, you know, quadraphonic audio right, when, right. When, when the Who or whatever was released it, right? That's, you know, I, I believe in spatial audio like you do, for sure. And, you, and so your but, studio is capable for creating that kind of content, correct? Absolutely, yeah. And I've invested a lot of money to make sure that that happens because I want to make sure that we're not 
building a studio for 2024. We're building a studio yeah. for 2034, yes. 2044. When I'm gone, I will pass it to somebody and they will take it further forward in the same way, right, in the same way that the legacy of past studios have done. It's not about me. My ego doesn't matter. What it no. matters is that I empower others to tell their story in an immersive and an, an engaging fashion. And I, I say the word immersive and I underscore that because it goes back to what I said about surfing. You ah, yeah. Ahead of the wave. And this is the punt we take. If you believe strongly in something in your soul, in your gut, and you feel it, don't be afraid to engage and have action that supports your belief. You sit on the couch and tell your mates around, you know, oh, yeah, there's this great thing going on with buying this thing called Bitcoin or whatever. Yeah, okay, it's 2024. I bought Bitcoin in 2011 when it was seven bucks. I bought a shitload of it and I held it. And the reason for that was that I understood the technology, I understood cryptography, I understood that we needed a transactional mechanism that would support the internet, not cash, where I have to be physically present with somebody to pass it. I needed something that was instant and something that worked, and that works for me. When you believe in something, no matter what it is, you go all in. If you don't do that, you're not living your ultimate life, and it's as simple as that. I've had several athletes through the lab here, Miles, uh, Stanley Cup champions, uh, gold medalists, Olympic medalists. And the theme has been, the theme is always uh, no plan B, like all in, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just like you've said, is that, uh, well, no, no, I'm all in on this. I don't have a plan B because I'm so believing in this that there's no need to have a plan B. That's exactly what you're saying as well. Yeah, you trust yourself. I mean, and, and look, here's, and you mentioned this, I think, in, in your um, intro to the, the episode. Mm. If you don't have a life experience at a young age, you don't develop the skill to become in tune with your gut. You need to be out there on the streets of Tokyo trying to be a bartender and you don't speak Japanese and you're out there trying to actually exist in stress and in struggle. You have to face that. You have to overcome it. And then your gut starts to grow. It's like a muscle and it starts to hear mm -hmm. things. And all of a sudden, five years later, 10 years later, with enough of those experiences, when you see an opportunity come by, you're like, I feel that. I'm in on that, and that's when you get the big reward. Otherwise, it's just roll the dice. It's a gamble. And look, older people, and unfortunately I'm one of them now, but older people have life experiences that means that when they get to, say, the age of 50, they don't screw up as much. And it's not because they're not actively out there. It's because they're, they're farming that 20, 30-year knowledge base that they build up when they were screwing up. Oh and man, today feels that you've got a wealth, man. Miles, from my my accountability testimony message this morning to you telling me that, so I'm I'm going to be 52 next month. To you telling me that you know the the like I'm on the like shit's going to get easier for me. Oh man, like yeah. what a great day so far. It is. I mean, for the amount of effort that you'll have to energize into something you do now, you probably get a five time return on it versus if you were. 22 and you did it without all of that back-end knowledge you'd end up doing it screwing up doing it screwing up doing it five times over and then maybe you'll get a benefit now you don't have to do all that stuff you just get the benefit that's why i have said many times to uh people in our demographic miles that our value has just gone up since sam and the gang unleashed chat gpt 
mm-hmm. because knowledge is a commodity now. You can get knowledge, you know, and you can get as whatever knowledge, whatever answer you want. Not only Google, but ChatGPT can write, write, create anything for you. But what mm-hmm. it can't do is recreate your experiences of buying Bitcoin in 2011 and holding it and going mm-hmm. through those waves and those feelings and the emotions of, oh my God, should I sell it? Should I keep it? Should I sell it? Should I keep it? You know, bartending in, in, in Tokyo, like those experiences you talked about, right? Our value, Miles, I believe, has gone up higher than it's ever been as human beings on the planet. Right, but those um, GPT models, the AI models, are all based on large language models, which is effectively just massive data sets. So all they can do is farm existing data and experiences that we, as a species, have openly given the internet. Yes. So they'll farm our video right now, and they'll take from that certain things. They can't say that, as an as a functional piece of application software, I know what the future is because I feel it. What they can say is mm. there is enough background data to suggest that if this and this comes together, then this shall be the outcome. Now, we do that intuitively. It's normal for us, but we don't have – the computer can never sense what we have. There's a whole side of our spirit which will never be encompassed in large language models. It's part of what we see in art. It's part of what we see in music creation. And it's something that I try to have all of my clients understand and get in contact with and not be scared to address. And and I find that uh, this is a weird one, but most of the people that I know who take a job, 40 hour, 50 hour a week, they're not doing it because they've got rent to pay. I mean, maybe they can justify it because they see, well, I've got to pay the rent, I've got to you know, pay the car and health insurance or whatever it is. But that's really not the main reason I found with this. What they're doing is they're able to enter somebody else's bubble, be an actor on somebody else's screenplay, do what somebody tells them to do at the time they want it done and so on, and take their own personal responsibility of themselves and switch it off and just pass it to somebody else. And I'm not saying that that's not a bad thing because we all need things built with large groups of people. But at the same time, if you're using that as a crux because you haven't got the courage to be able to realize that, you know, life's on me and I've got to step up to the plate and I've got to do it. When you get that message, when you when you get that memo, you don't need to work for anybody else because, and you don't need to chase the money. Surprisingly, what I found so money chases you because you're the person out there leading the charge. It just like magnetically just gravitates to you. You just have to be willing to ask for it and say, yeah, I'll have that. Thanks. Or, you know, I can do that for you, but it's going to cost you, you know, okay, fair. That's only fair. Well, and I think you're stating that in a roundabout way, Miles, as you build your studio, because you know, the money will follow the studio. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're building a great product, you're building a great experience, and you know that the money will follow it. Right. I mean, people want the adventure. I, I can tell somebody about what I'm doing and yes. they'll see it from their own perspective. They'll say, you know, there's a void in my life right now. I don't have I don't have a mission. I don't have something that gets me out of bed in the morning and make, makes me engaged. That guy seems to have one, and that guy has one, and that guy has one, and I like where that guy's going. I'm going to listen to that, and I'm going to use it to help me develop my mission. Once that mission is developed, they're going to need somebody like me and somebody like you. I mean, this is just how it is. Mm-hmm. Our job is just to take these unpolished stones and dust them off a bit and go, here you go. What do you want to make of this? Miles, it makes me wonder, you know, and have you... <laughs> Let's get all therapeutic for a second. It makes me wonder if you achieving that success at such a young age in your life and and you, 
I'll use your words, recognizing that you didn't earn it. You're like, no. I just got all this. Like you, you woke up one day like, oh, I, I have some money in my bank account and I have this quote unquote success. And then you questioned whether you had earned it. I wonder if you had never experienced that, Miles, if you would be feeling this way today. I think we both know the answer to that, but it certainly has that level of awareness, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I, I do believe that respect for anything, if you get something for free, that's about, you know, you get zero respect for it typically. And that's yes. the reason why like lottery winners are broke two years later and, you know, these statistical norms that we see all the time, that's pretty normal. But I think that you have to have some level of toil or risk-taking uh, some energy of yourself invested into something in order for you to connect with it and respect it. And when you do that, it tends to result in a sense of meaning. Um, and, and I think that's, I mean, I think it was Carl Jung, the psychologist that said that 80% of the reason why we work is to find meaning in our time and our life. It's not for money. And if all you're doing is working for money, you'll be depressed and miserable. And I've seen that with my own eyes. I think we all need to actually find our purpose. We need to follow it. And part of that means that we have to insert ourselves into something and be willing to shoulder the burden of risk. And if you don't do that, yeah, you feel like I did. And that is, well, I just took a job and got all this money. You know, it's like, well, that's great, but didn't last very long. It was a lottery that I lost. And it wasn't, it wasn't because of what I did. It was because I, I didn't, I don't know, maybe people around me saw that as, their lottery that they should have and and i'm like eh, whatever i you know let me just get back to making music or writing software or helping somebody out i mean that's all i wanted to do anyway there certainly is a theme miles of people that have come through my lab of people that react to life and and wonder how to get to where you have been or perhaps what i have done uh, and then there are those that proactively live life and I got to tell you, because I do the show every single day, I've been doing that for a few months, and I've met tons of people like yourself, and these constant themes are fascinating to me. Like, you know, it's just this, like you, you wake up every single day with a clear purpose, a clear mission, and you actively chase and live life. I can tell. That's right. just what you do. That's what you do. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's and I connect everybody. dots. Not everybody, though. Right. But, but I connect dots because I, I realize the one power that we have, th this, is, this is really valuable. I've learned this one. Um, there's one of you, you have yeah. a finite, singular, myopic amount of time. You don't know how long that is, but you yeah. have, there's one of you and you have time. Yes. If you want to do things that are beyond you, you have to scale, meaning that you either have to employ yes. other people to do things, or you have to do things with far more efficiency to be able to get the power of 10 of you coming out of one, one of you. So you invest one hour of time, you have to have 10 hours of output from that. Those things are really important because once you understand the power of the tools that we as a species can create, we are, as human beings, the only species on this planet that are tool makers. And that's why we are an apex predator now, because it's not because we're the biggest and it's not because we can beat a shark. No, we can't. Shark will kill us. But what we know is how to build a cage and we know how to go in there and build a weapon and we know how to build a shield and we know how to build. And, and that is why we're the apex predator. Um, We've learned how to scale ourselves. And because of that, we can create huge things, exponentially huge things. But at an individual level, we also have to learn that we are most important, that we have to scale ourselves. And I learned that lesson probably about halfway through my life, um, that if I wanted to actually 
succeed and not lose all my time, my one and only life, my one and only myopic amount of time, I couldn't give it to somebody else who would just treat me like a pawn on their chessboard. I had to start realizing that in order to get output from my life to get my time back, I had to buy assets. And the one thing that triggered me uh, all of this was I learned the simple phrase, the rich don't have jobs. And the second I learned that and I realized, yeah, you know, they're, they own things. They, they're the lords of the lands in England. They're the, the wealth it comes from what they own. If you can own something that you can get yield from it, like a farmer farms crops, like a real estate investor gets rent, like a dividend stock investor gets dividends, then all of a sudden that yield pays your cash flow and you get all your time back. That was critical. When I learned that lesson, I started realizing that it's not about me. It's about what I can control and what I can own. And once those things are in place, and I'm not trying to be greedy, I'm trying to be sustainable. I just want to be able to have enough money coming in that can pay my burn rate of what my expenses are going out because the ultimate profit from all of that, I get my time back. And then I can go on these wonderful adventures and travel around the world and do crazy stuff because I don't have to worry about the bills. I mean, the investments cover me for my journey of what I want to do in my one and only life. Inspiring, Miles. Inspiring. When's your studio opening? I'm hoping by the end of this year, by the end of 2024. Um, I've said that before and been wrong, but we are so far in on it right now that uh, we're doing it. We're also, I mean, the property is an acre of land and half of it is the studio and the other half of it is our house. So I wanted to, I didn't want construction going on while the studio was active and I didn't want the studio construction going on while we were trying to live in the house. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to get both <laughs> done at once. So I'm saying end of this year conservatively, but you know, I plus or minus six months, I guess. I don't know. My friend, as I mentioned at the beginning of the, at the beginning of our discussion, built his dream place in Mexico. And I recall laughing with him as he called himself a gringo, that uh, t t time was uh, was not really what he was used to when he worked in Canadian or North American culture. So when I asked him, so when's your house being done, Chuck? Well, I'm not sure. Maybe sometime in the next six to nine, maybe 12 months. Depends if they show up tomorrow. So I'm suspecting yeah. that might be kind of reading in between the lines of your experience as well. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in the local, local dialect, to answer that question, it would be manana, right? <laughs> Because manana never comes. <laughs> so your project must be a substantial economic boost to your community. Um, I hope so. Um, I, I have been relatively uh, covert about it. I haven't oh, yeah. really gone out and told. I mean, I look, people who know me and know why I'm here, they know what I'm doing. And people yes. in the, the musical community here in San Miguel know what I'm doing. Um, and that's fine. And people that, you know, good friends of mine back in LA, they know what I'm doing. Uh, in San Francisco, they know what I'm doing. Yeah. But until I've done it, I feel it's disingenuous for me to go out there and promote, yeah. you know, vaporware, yes. if you like. I have, yeah. to, I have to deliver it. Yeah. So once that's happened, then I'll take it to the next level and I'll probably engage a marketing agency and do all of that. But prior to that, I'm trying to just focus on, let's just get this thing done so that we have something to really talk about. But yeah. I, meanwhile, gear is coming down. I'm freighting in a lot of vintage gear that I've been able to find from 
travels around the world and picking up little pieces that are really important little pieces of history uh, and making it a part of the studio. And, you know, that's been exciting. Will there be a certain analog component available to an artist if they want to come and record in the studio? Yeah. Yeah, I bought one of the, I think there are only three of these in the world right now, but I bought uh, a Neve console um, from uh, the only other one that I know of was one in Dublin, Ireland that a friend of mine has in their studio. And this one in Muscle Shoals, Alabama at a studio there called Fame, which is noteworthy because that's where like Aretha Franklin and yeah. Otis Redding and all those guys yeah. came from. Um, I have the same console in my studio that these guys have. But other than the three of us, I don't know of any others in the world. Um, and that's to be able to connect our history uh, and that organic analog sound, which is what I was originally trained on, mm-hmm. with the newer uh, digital technology and Atmos and everything else. And there's a constant theme of that going on in the studio. Um, in fact, if you if you'll allow me, I'll please. Show you okay. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Right. I was hey, I, I always got time for show and tell here in the lab. We are hanging out with Miles Wakeham, uh, joining us from San Miguel, Mexico. Uh, we are talking uh, music studios. So he is recreating while well, he's getting himself set up here. He's recreating oh, the famous, famous studio that George Martin, Sir George Martin created uh, for the Beatles. So he's doing this in San Miguel and he's doing a show and tell right now. So let's see what he's got. Oh, hang on a second. Sorry. I got to get these headphones Sorry. back on. <laughs> All right. Oh, geez. Sony and their headphones, I'll tell you. Okay. Sorry about that. I'm That's sorry. Right. You, you asked a question. Let me uh, get that first. No, I was just telling the audience what you were doing. I just was reintroducing right. the show here. Yeah, I was just, just doing my hosting stuff. All right. So let me show you something. This Please. Is this this oh, is yeah. a, from 1971, this is a Neumann U47 microphone. They're very rare. I don't know how many of these are in the world. They're made in Germany originally, but they're very valuable because they're fair, very rare. Um, this microphone is particularly important and precious because it was used for every single ACDC album for Bon Scott, the late Bon Scott from 1973 until 1977, every ACDC album he sang into this microphone. Come on. Dirty Deeds, Long Way to the Top, Highway to Hell, all those songs, that microphone. And that's I've not seen the t- only one. I've seen tons of pictures back in my, you know, rock magazine days. I bet you that microphone was probably featured in some of those images. I yeah, looked I, at. I actually have one. Uh, I managed to find a photo of Bon using this very microphone singing a uh, long way to the top. And the guy who gave me this microphone was the guy in Australia who built and produced those records, built the studio and produced and mastered those records who I became good friends with, who just, out of pure coincidence, happened to live here in San Miguel. He doesn't anymore. He moved back to Australia, but he's a lovely guy. And he was kind enough to leave me with this microphone and its story. But if you can imagine that that sort of story is one of the few things that an artist can get if they want to come down and record with me, they can too can sing into Bon Scott's microphone if they want. So there's lots of little bits like that. That's really cool. What I love what you're doing, Miles, and and I, I don't know if it's a monumental task, if it's part of the story or what it is. It's it's I hope you're able to successfully get your narrative out into the marketplace so that future artists can understand 
the importance of what you're trying to do. Do you, you know what I mean? Like you could have the greatest building in the world, but if but if no artist is like, oh, I don't want to go record that. I don't care about Bon Scott. He's he's some ancient guy who recorded some old music that I don't really care about. Um, I, I I I I'm I'm hopeful you find just one artist that comes and cracks the door open on that place and becomes your Aretha Franklin, becomes your ACDC, becomes your pick an artist that record. You know your Beatles. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I I, I would love it if there was some way that an artist the that so i mean let me explain this a bit when yeah. i moved to la in 89 um as an australian hmm. i was very blessed and lucky you know there's a thing i think warren buffett coined the phrase of the um uh what was it the it basically it's it's like you have no control over where you're going to be born you could be born in a tribe in namibia yeah. Or yeah, you yeah, yeah. Born some a wealthy family in London, yes. or you know, yes. royalty or whatever. It's a it's a lottery. The ovarian lottery. That's what he called. And um, and I think that it's true. I was lucky enough to be born in the Western world in a country which is pretty friendly to most, and we had a um, a reciprocal uh, travel visa program with the United States, so I could walk into LA and get like a 90-day visa to stay there. And I couldn't work, but I could enjoy the country, go to Disneyland, I could do that. I'm living in a country where the people here never got that. They never got that chance. They they were considered the the, the illegal alien. They were considered the restless refuge. And, mm. and yet in their own country, they were living in, some were living in abject poverty, but many just wanted to feed their family and give them a better shot in life, just as I did, and just I'm sure as you would. Mm -hmm. And I got that chance because of where I was born, not because of anything I did, but because of where I was born. What I want to do is I want to give back. I could go to Hollywood and be trained in that, but my friends here, my, my Mexican friends couldn't get that opportunity. But what if I brought Hollywood to them? What if I could take the best of what I learned and build it here and then start training them? And so mm -hmm. part of what I want to do is to give back and create a, an institute of recording engineering that can mm -hmm. take my history and the history of these and also the future and bring them in and train them so that they can then take the torch and then go ahead and start creating their Foo Fighters, their Beatles, their Led mm -hmm. Zeppelin. And that then becomes the story for them. And hopefully they can sell it up north and we want to hear it too. And that would be that would be my ultimate goal. Miles, how are you taking all that knowledge in your head and monetizing it right now? Are you? Um, I would do it on the back end, not the front end. Uh, in other words, if I am willing to invest in an artist that needs some help and doesn't have capital because few do yes uh, i may share in a publishing agreement with them after the fact so if their work succeeds we both succeed yes very similar to how a venture capitalist would fund a startup they work on the basis that you fund 10 one of them is a big hit and nine of them you're probably going to lose money on but if you don't have the numbers and the volume you can't get to the point of funding google or funding netflix or yes. tesla or whatever yes and, and that's kind of how i look at it with artists i'm going to just do a lot i'm going to do a lot of volume mm -hmm. and i'm going to hopefully have one of them walk in that is the next elon musk or whatever of yeah. their 
industry and that I get to ride on their on their coattails because I help them get to another place. I add some value and they return that back to me in perpetuity. So that's the goal. Of course. That's, I, I asked the question because I read an interesting article this last week or, you know, and this, it was positioned as every human being has about a hundred thousand dollars worth of knowledge in their head that somebody else will pay for. In other words, there's an engineer right now that's listening to us that's going, oh, I wish I could just get what Miles has in his head and he can teach me. I just would love to have his knowledge and experience. And, you know, I don't want to go to school for it. I just want to be able to get it from Miles' head. Um, and that, that's, that's why I asked that question of you, um, because I, I think that you could <laughs> create courses for the knowledge you have in your head, for lack of a better term. I, I could. There's a longstanding tradition in the recording industry, uh, particularly in big production cities, of apprenticeships and internships. Yes, yes. Um, and it's not uncommon. You know, I was lucky to kind of jump the shark on this, but um, it's not uncommon for people who enter into that industry back in the day when studios had budgets and a lot of work going through them, okay. uh, that they, they'd go in for one or two years as an unpaid intern, Insane. cleaning the toilets and getting coffee for the clients and bringing back the pizza. I mean, that was their job on the pretense that one day the main engineer gets sick and yeah. this person's got to sit in the chair and, and take it over. That's how this industry has always worked in the past. And so I tend to think that maybe I have to be somewhat respectful of that. Yes, uh, interesting. It, you know, it certainly should be the case in the future as well that maybe um, that I've got to do something along those lines because I, I won't be able to do all the work. I need help. And so yes. if I can grow my own interns and grow my own second engineers and then eventually promote them up into first engineers, then I can do what George Martin did. He didn't run the sessions at Air Studios Montserrat. I know. Yes. He lived up in the house and let the let other people do the hard work. They just called him when they needed him to add inspiration or direction to something. Yeah, yeah. Miles, before we wrap up, man, I can't believe we've been talking for an hour already. I, I've thoroughly, thoroughly engaged and very much into this. Uh, I recently had a guest on my show, uh, somebody who's been in the 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 music, the booking, the promoting industry for 40 some odd years. He's booked some of the world's biggest artists here up in Canada, across the country. And him and I had a big discussion around the sphere in Vegas and around today's and tomorrow's music and and how, how that facility itself um, creates challenge to today's artists because because it's 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 a technologically advanced facility and there's maybe only a few artists that could 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 use it to its potential like you two or maybe Coldplay or artists like that are, that are that are that are global that have a, have a visual presence about them what i'm going with this is i said to him his name is kevin donnelly do does the world need to get used to seeing some ai created influential created artists do we need to go through that phase of i'll call it fakeness or ai created content before we go back to an analog storytelling world again um we probably always have. I mean, if you think of bands like Millie Vanilli in the 80s. And, oh, man, good, good call, good answer. You're right. right? I mean, we, we've had a lot of the imposter the syndrome. Yeah, Alexa. They were, yeah, they were manufactured. Yeah, you're yeah, right. You, you think of like, you know, America's Got Talent or something like that or, you know, American Idol or what are these shows. They're manufactured. And, and yeah, there, there's been a lot of musicians who can't stand it. I'm probably in that camp. But what I've seen is this uh, production of talent in a mm. uh, synthetic model. 
Um, the people who write the songs aren't performing the songs. They're just, you know, staff writers in Nashville or whatever, and they yeah, submit yeah. and hope they get some some royalties back on that work. And and that's that's been our world for a while. I, I don't think, I don't actually see, um, I'm not a fan of AI, but I will openly say that I do use it for production techniques to do things like strip out a vocal from a track that I'm trying to sample out, maybe a drum yeah. fill. I'll use technologies like that, which is voodoo and, and mind-blowing, and it's wonderful. But would I use it to create the music? I, I Like I said, I look for stories, and I don't yes. think that – I think the computer is a product of us. We're not a product of the computer. And so if we can keep ourselves human and keep our stories human – um, I don't care how you present it to me. Just present it honestly. Don't give me a fake version of it. Which then leads to my, I guess, my final question. Do you think the world will ever see another Taylor Swift, an ultimate Tory storyteller, creating art at the time and the birth of social media? Because she 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 jumped on that wave like Drake. I, I think Drake and Taylor are the same same artists, just two different camps. They both they both recognize there was a wave over there like you, and they said, hey. We're going to get on that wave right now. And they both wrote it. And there's nobody in the world like Drake or Taylor Swift. And I don't know if there ever will be. But I'm talking specifically Taylor, the storyteller. Miles. Uh, yeah, because 15-year-old girls need to have hope. And they need to be able to look to somebody and say, I want to be like that. Or I connect with you and I, right. I share your stories. And I share your failures and your successes. I share your... Uh, sense of lack of um, courage or, or just um, I just feel vulnerable like you put yourself out there to be in your music and I connect with you because of that story she's been able to connect with that market I mean you don't look you don't see a lot of guys going to see her shows right she's, They'll she's, go, I, I said this from a business perspective Miles she's the case study perfect product market fit because she's like oh Miles and Keith no um, you're not my audience. I don't. I don't care if you don't like my stuff. Don't go listen to somebody right. else. Go listen to ACDC. Okay, we will. Right. You know what I mean? yeah. but, but she she does it in an incredibly respectful way, and hundred percent. And and so that is incredibly embracing. It doesn't matter if you're yes. male or female or whatever. You look at that and go, I really appreciate your candor. I really appreciate <laughs> your story. I really appreciate your respect of everybody around you. And that alone is is priceless. And so I. Yeah, I, I think, will the world have it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we had, but we had it in different ways, right? Um, mm. At different times, at different points. If if you think back to the 70s, there was a period of time in the early 70s when all the artists had come post-Beatles, post-Stones, they were now into these stadium art artist bands like um, Yes. Or, yes, Foreigner and... Right, the big ones, and they did the big lasers. Yeah, right. the, the yeah the big the big yeah the big stadium rock shows yeah because right, the Beatles, right. Emerson Lake and Palmer and Prog Rock ELO yeah 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 right. Genesis and Phil Collins yeah. banging the drums yeah 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 and you yeah. you got a hundred thousand people out there in a crowd and they get yes. to see this thing but they it's can't hardcore. really see it because they're like so far and and eventually they realize that they're not speaking to them this is just a, a an effect it's a it's like that it's not a fad but it's a it's an effect that I'm going to see. I'm not, I'm not hearing music. I'm not hearing organic folk music or anything. I'm hearing, you know, this production. What was the reaction to that? Well, around the, at that time in the economy, the world had gone post Vietnam. 
It had massive amounts of debt. Nixon got off the gold standard. Inflation started to ramp up. The oil embargoes, there were chronic, in in the UK, there was chronic unemployment, Um, you know, mills laying off tens of thousands of workers. Unions were trying to form and organize and being beaten down. Thatcherism, all those things were going on at the time. What was the reaction? Is it stadium rock appropriate for that moment? I would say no. What's appropriate for that moment is angst, anger, rebellion. And so what came out of it? Punk rock. That's what generated punk rock. Every music follows social culture. Remember grunge, right? Back in the 90s, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, funny thing was, grunge was almost the welcomed reaction to all those glam bands on yeah, on the was. Sunset Strip, right? Motley Crue and Poison, and it was the complete right. opposite. It was it was the we don't want manufactured makeup guys. We want some just hardcore guys and some flannel playing rock and roll. We want we want Dave right. Grohl and Kurt Cobain. Exactly, these are waves, right? Same yep. as I've said with the waves. We have waves of technolo- technologically infused artistry that is reacted to by let's get back to being human again. Let's get back to our struggles and so on. And and I I look right now at the time we are in history, where we're at. Mm -hmm. In the United States, it's a heavily divided country on the brink of total collapse. And this Mm -hmm. seems to perpetuate everywhere else. We have wars popping off in regions that Mm -hmm. hadn't before and amping up continuously. Mm -hmm. There's angst around the world, yes. There is. There's struggle because 78% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. When mm-hmm. you're living in economic turmoil like that, well, you want to blame somebody and you want to sc- scream out and go, no more of this. We need to change. And I'm not saying that there's an answer in whatever side of the political spectrum anyone lives, whether it be liberal or conservative or whatever. In art, music and, and, and theater and movies have always come to the table of trying to tell the story of hope and tell the story of change. And those things are part of our narrative. My my perspective as a technologist who who is a musician or a musician who's a technologist is that the infusion between technology and art has to be respected so that one services the other. And when one attempts to take over the other, we're going to have prog rock and then we're going to follow it with punk rock. And that's going to be our normal next five years and so where is punk rock it's organic it's humans it's old school it's just raw and i want to be able to capture it so that i kind of is part of the narrative of all of this but we will see that change look i i was at ces two weeks ago in las vegas yes and and if i you saw more ai to blind you um yes and it, it, it was insane and most of it I remember I was sitting in a in a room with a panel of uh, people talking about the ethics and the responsibility of this. And of all things, of all of the five people that were from the IEEE, which is like a big engineering society that was responsible for so much of the technological standards we work with now, every single one of them were up there and they had a negative position on AI. One lady said she was a psychologist from Georgetown University in Washington. She said something incredibly valuable. She said that psychologically there are studies now that are showing that there is a lack of emotional development from people aged between the age of 15 to 23, that they have not developed anywhere near the pace emotionally that previous um, uh, generations have. 
And I think that's important because what it's saying is that those people whose attention has been focused into the little shiny black mirror device that is their phone don't have the emotional capability of embracing the changes in society, which are normal for all of us. And that means that there is a delay in maturity. So you might find people back in the, when they were 20, buying records, CDs or whatever back in the day, those people will now be 28 and everything will be fast forwarded eight years in terms of development that that gives a musician a lot longer runway at a young age to be able to build a career because there's a lot more of their music will be consumed for people later in their life than they have in the past. So these are all factors that are all part of, you know, what I do and what I think about all day long. Which makes sense, Miles, because humans are also living longer, right? So we're you know, so, yes, <laughs> we we have our challenges in the U.S. on that one, yes, but yes, yeah. But you know, but but there's discussions around: is the planet ready for more humans living to a hundred? Because it's just it's happening. More and more people are living older, and right. So you know, and biotechnology and medicine is making people live longer. So there, there, it it seems to be seems to make sense that 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 emotional maturity or whatever you'd want to call it would be delayed a number of years because you're because 21 is not the same what you're saying to me is that 28 is now the new 21 correct that's exactly right yeah and kids are going to live at home longer right and and or, which is exactly what's happening yeah delaying yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Everything's I, delayed. I find i i dude you're fascinating man hold on a second i just I gotta, I gotta address the audience here for a second because um hold on so audience you know how i have favorite guests and I, every single show, I have a favorite guest. Don't tell everybody else this one, but this one might be my favorite guest because. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so I'm, I'm, I think the next 12 months, 18 months are going to be fascinating with politically and, mus and musically in the United States because of what we're talking about right now. Right. And, and, and what's going to happen culturally, right? Like does Taylor open up her, her playbook in October and tell the world to go vote blue democratically because she has that power. Right. And then, cause let's, let's face it, right. Her there's, there's, there's conspiracy theories that, you know, if you look at where she's ending her tour and you look at where things are wiling up, she'll have the ability to have massive influence on that electoral vote in November of next year, which then makes you delineate art into it right and the kind of music coming out next october and next november and then how culturally what happens if the republicans win and trump comes back in and you know some of some authoritarian type policies come in and do people become angry in the u.s and 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 parts of the world do we do we do we merge with prog rock or punk rock and fascinating to me miles because i can see it it's the replay of history isn't it it's it, it is, is. It's, it's the 1970s we had high inflation then we have yeah. high inflation now i mean so now we have ai as part of our conversation they didn't have they had they had they had they had electronic calculators back in the 70s right i'm just making the joke but now we have sure. ai right yeah we went they went from marbles to a calculator okay i got a calculator now right now you know the big housing crisis in 08 we had google now we have ai and but yet things around us are all the same they do i mean things what go in waves they cycle yeah. the way of the universe everything i mean the one thing that's true here is polarities like yes. you cannot have you cannot have positive without negative if you yeah. do the world would spin off and we would yes. not have a, a repetitive cycle in our planets yes. in the same way that you would have you can't have just conservatives without liberals you can't have just liberals without conservatives 
Yeah. Right. And it's it's the it, if you think of it like uh, electricity, alternating current. And yes. It's the same in sound waves. Sound waves are resonant because they go up and down. It's the phases that we work with in sound. And and these phases are the same thing that happen in all forms in the universe. It doesn't matter where you are. And if you if you understand and respect that, it's not the entire narrative to how everything works, but it sure as hell works really well in money. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I don't like, Miles, and I know we got to go here, so I'll wrap this thought up. But what I don't like is is the world seems to be moving in a direction, or it has been for the last few years anyways, of we all got to get into our own echo chamber and like what each other is saying. Because heaven forbid we're going to disagree with something. Heaven forbid, heaven forbid we can't have a human dialogue and recognize that you have your fears as a human being. I have my fears as a human being. I put my pants on the same way that you do. Just because you think the sky has a different color of shade than I do doesn't mean that we have to hate each other. Yet that just seems to be a narrative unfolding around us, which is, oh, I, I don't agree with you, Miles. You're a jerk. See you later, man. Instead of, hey, let's talk about this. I don't well, like we, we, we can't look into each other's eyes when you're posting a comment on the bottom of a YouTube feed or, a, yeah. you know, an X or Twitter response. I mean, we are, we are isolated. We're not connecting at a human level. We're not understanding and empathizing with the other person. You might not agree with their situation, but I'd like to at least listen to it and maybe try to understand it. Yeah. And then maybe at that point, I still may not agree with it, but I'm going to be respectful. I'm not going to say you're a jerk. I'm going to say I don't actually agree with that. I believe this. However, I respect your ability to say it, yes. and I've enjoyed you presenting it to me because it's helped me think things through and understand. We don't have those conversations. We stopped having those when we started texting rather than phone calls. You yes. know, all of a sudden we all retreated into our corner. That's why I've gone, and th that's why I've created this live show. So I purposely haven't created a podcast because I wanted to create something that could have air, which is live. I, I, so that's why people go to live sports, live concerts, there's something magical about live, live recording, live. Like I said to my like, people, like, why, why are you going live, Keith? I'm like, well, why not? I'm recording anyways. And for me, being live is an accountability metric. If I say something that I shouldn't say, well, I, I can apologize for it, or I can take ownership of it, but it's an accountability metric. But what it also does for me too, is it says, hey, I'm showing up live month, seven days a week at noon central time. That is publicly stating my ambition and I'm holding on to it. But, but I bring this up because that's what I'm trying to do in this show is have good, interesting debate with people and that, that we can have honest dialogue back and forth. Yeah, let's not be jerks. <laughs> It's exactly. not going to win. We're not going to win anything. And if we were to win something, you wouldn't want what you want because you that's end up it. with this world of like everyone agrees with you. And it's like, oh, that's how it. boring would that be? I mean, that's it. That's it. That's it. Hey, Miles, um, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Uh, is there anything that I have not asked you about? You want to make sure the world knows about the public knows about get it onto recording right now. But, uh, you know, I know you have your podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, it is at uh, beunconstrained.com. Here's your chance to throw it to the audience. Anything that I haven't promoted or talked about on your behalf before I say goodbye, before we say goodbye to the world. No, I think, I think we covered pretty much everything. I mean, the only thing I would say is if anybody wants to follow my ramblings and, and my adventures in more detail, they're more than welcome to come to my website at beunconstrained.com. I do a podcast every week called the unconstrained podcast. And mm. it talks about topics that, we've spoken about and and many many others uh, that i encounter just in daily life and for, for some reason i've been able to get 230 odd of these episodes at this point of just things every week that i see that turn into an hour long editorial of of this or that and it's not 
it's not political. I'm not, I don't try and play that game. I'm much more of a, of a pragmatic person. And I would just yeah. say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? What yeah. about this concept? And and it's engaging. So we, you know, we have a good growing audience. I'd love a bit more to more people to come and discover it. Beunconstrained.com, guys. And it sounds like Miles probably drinking the same cooler that I'm drinking here. So I would invite you guys to check it out. As you know, here we're very we offer suggestions, recommendations, pragmatic approaches. Uh, we welcome liberals, we welcome conservatives, we welcome everybody to the lab. We just we want to have a good, honest, open dialogue and have good discussion. Miles, thanks for joining me. Will you come back again? Absolutely. Anytime you want. That'd be awesome. So I'm going to throw you back in the green room, walk, walk, and then I'm going to say goodbye to the audience and come back and walk you out, okay? Thank you. All right. Hang tight. All right. So there was Miles Wakeham. What a great discussion today. I'll be honest with you guys. I didn't know where it was going to go. I, I had my background on Miles. I had, a, I had a number of questions in my head that I wanted to ask Miles, but I wanted to get into the studio. And the fact that he brought it up, I was like, all right, here's my door. Let's open it wide open. Let's get into music and culture and that studio he's building and and get into the you know the mind of Miles Wakeham. So I thoroughly enjoyed the chat. I hope you guys did as well. This is what we're doing here. Long form, interesting conversations with interesting people. We do it seven days a week. We go live in the lab Monday to Monday at noon central time. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Have a good one. And I'm out of here.